Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of And Another Thing with Dave. I want to thank all of our listeners from all over the world. Please do subscribe and share if you're not already. All right, let's get into it. I had no option. I had to do it. So at that point, I spoke to my father, told him what was going on. And my father said to me, you've got internetitis, which I didn't take very well, as you can imagine, because right. he, was, he was literally saying I was inventing it all. My brother was a little bit more accommodating and slightly concerned. But, you know, my friends around me had left me because they thought I'd infected them with H1N1. I had nobody. I was so alone. I was ill. I was bleeding. I was full of infection. My doctors had started to ignore me. I, I just at that stage really started panicking because all I could see on the television was this virus, which had all the symptoms I had and nobody was believing me. And at that stage, all I could do really was try and contact other people. So at that point, I reached out to people in the US and Canada and Italy and Germany. And I literally used every social media, every contact I could think of. And thank goodness I found people in other parts of the world like me that were suffering, like me, who were not believed, like me. And I mm. started to hang on to these people and the scientists and I started to teach myself some of the stuff and I started to teach myself virology and epidemiology and hematology and my own hematologist said to me you've got a viral illness there is nothing to do with cancer there's nothing cancerous in you and of course at the time I thought what a load of rubbish I'm so ill this can't be a virus but it then got to the stage where we locked the UK down and so from early March all the way through until the end of May I was on my own. I didn't see a doctor. I didn't speak to a doctor. You were all terrified to go into hospitals, as you can remember. Even thinking I may have cancer, I didn't want to go and have any diagnostics because you were too afraid. You didn't know what to do. It was very severe. Um, what was it like in the US then when you locked down April, May? Were you scared? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, there was a fear and and, you know, Everybody, even people who needed cancer treatment or diabetes, weren't going to hospital. So I was getting iller. I literally went out and I bought a blood pressure monitor, a blood sugar monitor, um, an oxometer. My blood oxygen was dropping down to the 60s. Now, blood oxygen should be at least sort of 90, 95. My blood oxygen levels were coming down 79, 74, 68. This is called hypoxia. You feel happy. You feel you're okay. You feel you're all right. But your blood oxygen is so low that the amount of oxygen that is going into the organs of your body is too low that your organs start failing. Your organs start giving up on you. And I started reading accounts in the New York Times and the Washington Post about a, you know, a woman whose heart literally exploded because it hadn't had the right amount of blood going into it. And I started reading all these horrific things worldwide in Italy. I'm in panic. I live on my own. I think I've got this virus. Nobody believes me. I've got all these monitors. My blood was dropping down. I was passing out in a diabetic type, what, oh, I don't know the name for it, a sort of diabetic coma. I was going into rigors oh and tremors. Um, but I was still terrified to leave the house because of COVID. 
and nobody would believe me. So I got in contact with Porton Down, the government's uh, laboratory in the UK, and they tested my blood and they found yellow fever. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. You didn't expect that. And neither did I. Um, they said that was some sort of weird thing. I shouldn't worry about it. But then I said, well, can you test for you know COVID? And they said, well, no, we can't. We haven't got the test yet. So I had to go through until May, June, until I got the proper test oh and the antibodies and all the rest of it. Um, but obviously, by that point, I'm fully aware, along with many other people in the world, that I've got COVID. But clearly, nobody believes that I've then had it three or four months by that point. And then suddenly I got very ill. I don't know what triggered it. I suddenly dropped. One day I started bleeding very easily from little cuts and getting bruises all over me, which I put down to a blood cancer type thing. I was still weak. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't eat my hand. My headaches were intense. I couldn't see a lot. I'd lost most of my eyesight. Um, I couldn't taste, couldn't smell. Um, I had ear infections, back in, uh, kidney infections. And then suddenly one day, my elbow started bleeding very slightly from dry skin. thought nothing of it. Within three hours, a lump the size of a tennis ball had grown on my elbow. I had no idea what wow. it was. I didn't, I didn't want to contact the hospital. But I went next door because my neighbors are GPs, they're doctors. And I looked at them and jokingly sort of put my arm up. And the GP looked at me and went, oh, my God, you need rapid antibiotics that could get septic as it did. So within uh, two hours of seeing him, I'd taken some antibiotic he gave me, but I couldn't breathe. My breathing became really difficult. It occurred to me it was probably going to be sepsis. I phoned 999. A journalist friend of mine I'd been talking to on Zoom phoned 999. The paramedics arrived and all over my house were loads and loads of papers about COVID. Papers. With these other people I'd made contact with across the world. So my house looked like a COVID laboratory. Um, <laughs> and it walked in, hooked me up to an ECG. And I have forgotten to tell you, but when I got that ill on my birthday, the February the 16th, I gave up. I signed a DNR. I signed a do not uh. resuscitate. And because my father and my brother didn't seem to care and didn't believe me, I also did my will. So I had a living will and a do not resuscitate order which meant that when the paramedics arrived because of that sort of sepsis bursitis on the 6th of June, they couldn't resuscitate me. And I was struggling to breathe. And it's the most frightening thing I've ever had. Really the most frightening thing I've ever had. I felt each part of my body go numb and tingly. And I knew I was mm. losing my oxygen. I was losing the ability to breathe properly. And they couldn't do anything because they weren't legally allowed to do anything. And long story short, um, they made me cough hard to get my chest or my heart or my resuscitation started. So I had a beep, 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 beep. Whenever it got to a, I could hear this beeping, this flat line. I was half in and out of consciousness and I had to cough, oh, hard, cough my way out of my own flat line experience. And I had uh, some horrific. As a result of that, I went into hospital. I came out. Luckily, I was looked after. Two days later, my front door knocked. And I opened my front door. And there were three or four people standing on my doorstep in PPE, stroke hazmat, 
no idea who they were. And they said, can we come in, please? We're from the mental health service. Basically, mm. my GP had not believed or even read through a lot of the stuff from the hospital and the paramedics. And she was going to section me under the Mental Health Act. So <laughs> on my doorstep were psychiatrists that had been called in and there was a van parked outside my house. And these mental health wow. psychiatrists, people came into my house, sat down on my settee and said, you've got 10 minutes to pack a bag. We're taking you to somewhere safe. Huh. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That's out of a movie. It is out of a movie. And initially, I laughed. I laughed. I thought, look, I've just been through a near-death experience. I'm lucky to be alive. Surely this is some sort of weird joke. And I realized very quickly, this was not a joke. These were absolutely serious. And I had 10 minutes to prove to them that I was sane and that the whole of this horrible illness that I had was a proper physical illness, not some psychotic disorder. And so obviously in quick succession, within five or six minutes, I explained everything, told them I was a former journalist, I was reading and writing about COVID. I've been studying it because nobody believed I had it, blah, blah, blah. They went, they left. And the ne next day I got a letter from my GP who sacked me from the doctors. I got a letter from the NHS in England at director level. I got a letter from the Public Health England, all saying that I was sacked and they would not be giving me free healthcare in the UK. Um, wow as a result of complaints made because I was obsessed with COVID and I thought I had COVID and clearly this wasn't possible, blah, blah, blah. The irony of it is a few weeks later, I then got the apologies when I tested positive for it. Uh -oh. By which time I'd had to find another doctor in another hospital and gone on another waiting list. And fortunately, other people, and well, fortunately, unfortunately for them, by March, April, a lot of people in the UK had COVID. And so I wasn't alone. And I joined yeah. a group of people that believed me. And, you know, they literally were lifesavers because I was sitting in my house fucking suicidal, suicidal. My father, my brother did not believe me. My doctors didn't believe me. They were trying to put me in a mental institution I was so ill, I could barely walk. I'd lost so much weight, I could barely swallow, I could barely breathe some days. And I gave up on life. I gave up. Understandably. My God. Yeah. And that was June, July. And this is before. So, you know, long story short, between July and December of last year, the support groups for long COVID, the people worldwide that came forward the scientists, the doctors, the medical institutions and the universities that approached me and then have started using me as effectively, I'm like a medical guinea pig. I've been used by universities as a test subject now. Right. They saved my life because without people actually believing you, there is no need. There is no sense in, for me, as a very intellectual person who was successful, who had always proven herself and always been popular, I'd suddenly become a nobody who was laughed at and ridiculed. And the mental health aspects of it then became almost more threatening to my life than the physical aspects. 
But um, I continued to have, you know, hospital visits in and out. I had small um, strokes, heart attacks. The sepsis reoccurred. It came in the other elbow. Um, and oh basically, I've been, I've been ill pretty much ever since. To a literary extent, because now as more people have, have got involved, there's more knowledge about vitamins and more knowledge about supplements there's more knowledge about what to do and how similar it might be to various other illnesses i mean the bottom line is this thing is like a fire breathing dragon inside you and it inflames everything so when you lose your taste and your smell and your eyesight and everything else it's because all the neurological network of your body is blowing up like a hot red balloon. Your blood is like molten lava pumping through you. It becomes thick. My plasma viscosity readings were off the scale. You have this thick, gloopy blood. Your body is like a computer and your body decides the priorities. Right, we need to get blood to the heart, blood to the kidneys blood to the liver, and it shuts down other parts of you. So the reason mm -hmm. some days that we can't walk or we don't feel our left foot or we have numbness in our right hand or we can't suddenly remember something is neurological damage caused by gross inflammation and swelling to the body as the body is trying to keep the major organs going but is failing on other parts. And the jabbing, stabbing pains where you feel like somebody's got a knife and is absolutely attacking you are sort of false synapse chemical reactions where the whole of the brain is going into a panic of sugar, I've got to get blood there, I've got to push sugar here, I've got to put salt there, I've got to do this. And this chaotic panic that is going on in your head like a computer causes these irreverent, complex, bizarre physical symptoms. And it's no wonder that, you know, the medical fraternity has freaked out. It's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing like anything they've seen before. And I've got to dry yeah. my mouth now. So I'm going to take a drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I have, now, have you heard, uh, I've, I heard uh, in the last couple of minutes, I heard our connection kind of like crackle up a couple of times. Did you hear that on your end at all? No, it seems fine, my end. It's all being clear. Okay. It's probably just because we're uh, going international here. But yeah, it looks like we got a message. You want to hit that? Uh, hit the next oh, message sure. there? Hey, what's up, Money Penny? What's up, David? What's up, guys? Hope your broadcast what's going goes on? well. Hey, Thanks, true. Buddy. Thank you for listening in. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate so, that. So we're now at the stage where I lost my business. I lost the ability to work. I've lost the use of my hands. One of the most frustrating things is what they call brain fog, the mm -hmm. neurological damage. Lost a lot of my memory. My short-term memory is hardly there. Within closed doors, within the support group, we can joke about the fact that you make a cup of coffee and put it in the fridge. You leave your glasses in the dog you know, uh, bin, you lose uh, the name of your best friend in your head when you try and talk to them. Uh, you forget that you have only put your socks on, but you've not put your pants stroke trousers on when you answer the door to a courier. 
uh, it, the horrific, hor horrible thing that is affecting the medulla part of your brain, again, is just that your whole body is going through this inflammation. So the incredible frustration, 93% of long COVID sufferers in the latest research cannot return to full-time work. And in the UK, obviously, as I got slowly more and more ill, my income became flat. And in the UK, the UK government started announcing all this help for people and businesses to support them through COVID. Mm -hmm. And effectively, I was a self-employed person. I had a company I'd started up many years ago and I was delivering services. And therefore, like everybody else that was fit and well and sort of able to work but didn't have customers, I applied for grants. I applied for government benefits, all of which yeah. I was denied. I wasn't eligible for one penny of any benefit, of any COVID benefit, of any health benefit, of anything. And I know yeah. it's different in the U.S., um, but I had to go out and, you know, I had savings, five, six thousand pounds that all went on private health care because, you know, the NHS healthcare system was so burdened with COVID, you couldn't see a doctor. Um, I have one property that I had tenants in, but all over COVID, my tenants were unable to pay. We weren't allowed to evict anybody. I couldn't get new tenants. In total, I lost over 18,000 pounds between February and July, August of 2019. I had to sell my car. I had to sell all the jewelry that was sentimental to me, including my father's wedding ring. And I had to put my house on the market. My house was up for sale. Um, you can imagine how this is helping my mental health uh, because oh, I'm absolutely. on my own, nobody believes me. I'm seriously ill. I haven't got a penny to my name. I've lost every single penny of my savings. I'm having to sell my own home. Um, and I'm being called a joke by a lot of people who don't believe me, including my own father, who doesn't believe me. And when my father's asked to do a blood test, he refuses to do a blood test that he's told could save my life. So literally 2020 was a year where I went through so many near-death experiences and horrible suicidal thoughts, suicidal idolism, they call it, where I sat and looked at the light and wondered if the chandelier mm. would hold my weight if I tore something around it. I filled a bath full of water and tore the plugs off electrics, ready to strap them to me and put them in the bathtub. You know, I went through months of that on my own. And the only thing that got me out of it was broadcast media because I used to be a journalist. So I started latching on to talk radio shows and you can't yeah. leave your house and you can't do anything. But I had other people that were living lives with tragedies that I could help. And so the big thing that got me through the last has been helping through a charitable way, not through any money changing hands, people that have suffered the same in support groups, people that have gone through similar, who are currently starting to get into long COVID, who are panicking because they too think they've got blood cancer or they're having heart attacks at the age of 26 or they're having strokes at the age of 32. My best friend right. is in a wheelchair with two kids. You know, I've got a friend who's blind, who's 29, who never knows whether they'll regain their sight. And it's all about the community helping you and 
you know, thank goodness I have found there are some nice people in this world who reached out to me and brought me food when I haven't been able to leave the house, who brought me prescriptions when I haven't left the house and who have gone on the phone to me at two in the morning when I don't want to live. And unfortunately, Spence and I, the gentleman you spoke to last week, are exactly the same. And 70% of long COVID people, and I think a huge amount of people otherwise, are suffering a traumatic mental health illness, which I think is the next big pandemic. I seriously oh, do. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have COVID, but, you know, I've suffered with depression my whole life. And being forced to isolate is like the worst thing for somebody with depression, right? So it's, yeah, thank God for stereo for that reason, you know? It's great. It's great. It really does give you an avenue to speak to other yeah. people from all over the place, all different cultures and backgrounds and share. Yeah. And I just think that is absolutely vital. I think so, too. It's your so turn to another hit the message. Button, yeah. All right. Next caller. You should have died. Sorry to say, but. It's so not very nice, fetus deletus and that's all the energy we're going to give that person okay so now at the point in the uk where there are hundreds of thousands of people that are suffering long term with long covid um and there are millions more in the u.s in Brazil, in South Africa, in Russia, in China, all over the place. And whilst there's a varying amount of recognition for them, my big fear is that there are a lot of people who do not have to go through what I went through. And there needs to be some sort of service or some sort of recovery and system to make sure those people don't go through that. And one of the things that Absolutely. scares me is organ damage. So in July, after I had that sort of sepsis hospital thing, Oxford University invited me to come in and become part of their trial, which was looking at organ damage. Mm. And it's actually, I think American technology, a very, very type of uh, clever type of MRI stroke CT scan that looks into the depths of the organs and from that, they found some mitral heart valve damage. They found a small tumour on my liver and some lesions. You know, they found various things. Now, none of those would have been found had it not been for research and scientists um, who were looking for that type of thing. But what I'm saying right. is I don't believe most of the organ damage and most of the damage internally and to the brain is caused by low oxygen levels, low water levels, low salt levels, low mineral levels, um, your hormones not working properly, your endocrine system shutting down. Now we need to make sure that stops before people get damaged in the way I've got. I will never repair my mitral heart valve and various other bits, but I want to right. make sure other people don't get to that stage. And that really right. worries me, really worries me. Yeah, because otherwise there's a, there's a landslide or tsunami of implications you know coming down the pike right in the future absolutely so there's going to be a massive surge of people who are dependent on health services 
Um, in the UK, we are now having newspapers headlining long COVID as the largest pandemic panic on the NHS system there has ever been in, in you know, in world history, because wow. there are hundreds of thousands of people like me with undiagnosed illness and damage caused by this virus that we don't understand why and how everybody is getting different stuff some people like myself are getting um, autoimmune we're getting rheumatoid arthritis we're getting lupus other people are losing their sight or you know they're hearing you know different people are completely different and like Stu uh, spence said last week his doctors couldn't believe him. They had no idea what was going wrong. And now we've got right. hundreds of thousands of people all across the US, the same position. And we have no idea really what the root cause is. We're effectively cause we're looking at symptoms and trying to shove painkillers or you know antibiotics or steroids or whatever it is at these people. But there has to be something that looks at it from a more holistic point of view. But it's going to not only drain the health service of the US, the UK, the whole G7, you know, for many, many years to come, it's also draining the economy because 93% of these people cannot work. And they are dependent on benefits. They are dependent on the benefit system to keep them alive. And I don't think there's been the, um, an acknowledgement of that. I really don't. Yeah, and you bring up a great point because, you know, here in the U.S., we're the only industrialized nation without some sort of universal health care system. So before COVID, healthcare costs were the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States. So... Now you got COVID. Now all, you know, tons of people have been out of work. Um, you know, our benefit system is grossly inadequate. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it in the news. Um, yeah. but a, lot of a lot of countries are getting $2,000 a month or 80% of your salary per month. We've gotten $2,000 since this started. So not even 100 bucks a month. Um, uh, and look at, you know, Spence last week, who was a 22-year-old fit guy, got COVID, and within six months, it had cost him, what, £30,000, he was saying, or $30,000. Um, I know yep, his entire life like savings that. gone. His yeah, whole life savings. And he was one of those very astute, clever young men who had been mm -hmm. saving. He'd looked to his future. He had everything going for him. He had his fitness. He was, well, I mean, he still tries to push against it, which as you recall, I was having an argument with him about it because the one yeah, thing yeah. with long COVID you should not do is try and return to normal exercise because the overexertion, right. pushing yourself actually takes you back several steps. Um, mm -hmm. Literally, even this is this is actually interesting. I've just mentioned this quickly. Fatigue is not only physical. When I realized that I was getting this extreme fatigue that would be like a narcolepsy, you'd be in the middle of sending a text message, you would drop like into wow. a coma. You would go into a sleep where you'd be gone for eight or ten hours. You would just go. You would drop. And this is incredibly dangerous living on my own. The minute I started yes. to feel a slight sort of buzz in my head, I would almost grab towards the nearest soft surface because it would just drop the narcolepsy. 
suddenly there would be a pain in your head and bang, you were a dead weight, flat out. My dogs were the only thing that could wake me up, licking me to wake me up, licking my face or nudging me. I would be out cold and not have oh, any no. memory of it. I mean, that that's still scary. now to an extent, but it's very scary. Um, but, you know, a lot of this is stuff that, you know, you cannot get even in the UK on the National Health Service. We've got such a long waiting list now because of all the people that have had to go without cancer treatment and, you know, hematologists and, you know, cardiologists. And, and this is a, you know, it's a multi-system illness. You can't get a cardiologist because you also need a neurologist and need an endocrinologist and you need a you know, pathologist and a hematologist. It's, it's multi-system. There isn't one yeah. specialist who can go and pay to help you. You need all of them. Um, right. And it's unrealistic to think that any health system is going to cope with this. And we haven't even started thinking about the third world yet. You know, we're not even on to that. Um, so the drain yeah. on resources, the US, you know, scares the life out of me. How are you going to get through this when, you know, a really clever young man like Spence lost his whole life savings as a result just to get through the first few months of it? Right. Yeah, exactly. So imagine somebody without that savings. Yeah not looking so good and then obviously the mental health pressure when you lose everything and you've got not a penny to your name and you're getting more and more ill it's it's, yeah. it's, it's horrific it's it's a horrific mix um it's like the perfect storm really um there was i don't know if you've heard of deaths of despair yes you heard that term yes i've heard the phraseology yeah yeah so fascinating so now Currently in the U.S., the leading cause of death of middle-aged white men, it used to be heart disease, and now it is deaths of despair, which are either suicide or the trickle down from, from hopelessness and depression, you know, drug abuse, uh, alcoholism, you know, organ failure. So yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. Right now, we're in a period where the U.S., the life expectancy has gone down for the first time ever. The leading cause of death of white middle-aged men is, you know, hopelessness, basically. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, we had some Cheeto preaching, make America great again. Like, when, yeah. when was it great? Because look at all these people. <laughs> we yeah. got a homeless epidemic that's that's out of control. Uh, it's unbelievable. There's 50,000 homeless people in Los Angeles alone. I mean, this is epidemic. Like, um, illnesses from the Middle Ages are rearing their heads in Los Angeles. They, they had a case of the bubonic plague. Um, they've had cholera, um, typhoid from, from people being in such close quarters and in such unsanitary conditions right that combination that, that is a is good point a very good point because the other thing is one in three people carry the virus asymptomatically they have mm -hmm. no idea they've got the virus and they right. are spreading it one in three people and the other big thing is that whilst we always say oh it's only the old and the people with underlying illnesses that are really at threat people with long covid 390,000 people that, like me, have got long-term organ damage, long-term, are not going to be able to work again or ever walk their dogs again like me, 
I mean, not being able to walk my dogs destroys me more than anything because I get out of breath walking 300 yards. But those people are younger people. It is the people with an average age of 37 that are going to be ill with long COVID more so than the elder generation. So do not think you have escaped it just because you're 26 and fit. We have people in our groups that are you know, champion athletes. We've got members of our Olympic teams that have got long yeah. COVID that are unable to be able to function because they can't even combat the fatigue, let alone the pain levels they're going through. You know, you are yeah. not able to jump out and say, oh, it's not me, I'm young and fit. For some reasons, there's almost a, there's almost a propensity that this virus hits the fitter people more so. I mean, it, it's just incredible. It is mind-boggling. Absolutely. Wow. Is it your turn on the button? I believe it's yours. Is it? I right. could be wrong. I'm really glad that you're talking about the effects of long COVID um, on those who have had corona and are still suffering with the side effects or the impact from it. Um, I don't think we realise yet as a nation or as a global nation, um, does that make sense, global nation? Uh, the impacts that will have on our health, our health care, um, you know, working. There's so many different factors to it. But um, I'm glad that someone's talking about it because there's a lot of talks on here that sort of poo-poo corona and, you know, act like it's not a big deal, it's not a problem, it's not a thing. And it's important to talk. And I'm glad you're better now. Wow, what wow. a wonderful message. She's Shall mostly love. better, Shall but I mean... Yeah, but she's yeah. still there's still certain things. So this is interesting. Um, I've got to go in about ten minutes, but um, but I would love to continue this because this has been fascinating, and it would be interesting just to see, just to be a part of your journey through this. You know, I'm so sorry that you've had to experience this. I mean, what a it's been just a roller coaster. Just me listening. It's like wow, <laughs> like I, my palms are sweating. I'm not even joking. Like it's intense. Um. It's difficult so because, you. you know, when you when you say it quite honestly, it can scare the life out of people. And you don't yeah. in some ways want to do that. But in other ways, no, do when, it. Please. when you have what we call COVID idiots in the UK um, right. who, who don't obey the regulations and the distancing and don't wear masks and just mm -hmm. deny that, they, you know, the threat is there. It, it absolutely breaks me. I, I, you know, I've watched television, you know, news reports where you've got thousands of, you know, sort of young 20s people in an unofficial illegal rave. Um, and I just look at them and think, well, hang on. I've got, you know, people in my long COVID group in their 20s in wheelchairs, people that are blind. I've got a professional footballer from a top professional team who will never be able to play football again because of long COVID. And you guys wow. are out there raging and partying. And ugh, the desperation. So this, I mean, this is a term we haven't even heard over here, long COVID. I've, I haven't yeah. heard that term until this conversation. That's it. So the Americans were using long haulers as, as their thing. But there's an American-founded uh, or an American long-standing group called the Body Politic, P-O-L-I-T-I-C. And yeah, the Body Politic got together with ONS, which is the um, Office of National Statistics in the UK. And together they have 
done some of the most amazing research into the studying and internationally now we've come together to try and get the terminology the same across different nations so generally speaking long covid has been internationally recognized as the terminology so i mean on my own doctor's report i've now got long covid syndrome I've gone mm. into the category of extreme because obviously not many people are ill for 12, 13, 14 months like I've been, even though I feel a lot better now than I did, you know, 10 months ago. Most mm. people seem to start to get a lot of, you know, more positive symptoms after four or five months. Um, but we still don't know why. And we don't know why these people are more predisposed and why some of us are getting autoantibody things and some of us are having little heart attacks and some of us are having organ damage and others aren't. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Uh, so it's my just, fault. Um, as a disclaimer, I am uh, not necessarily someone who um, typically promotes or supports, you know, ubiquitous spending by the government or... Um, you know, burgeoning welfare programs and whatnot. Uh, I, I, I fundamentally don't believe in those things. Um, however, I will say, I, I will say this. The I think the issue we're having at a macroeconomic level um, is that you know typically in contracts there is a clause known as force majeure. So uh, force majeure is a, a major extenuating circumstance that impacts one's ability to perform. Uh, the contract. So, you know, uh, an act of God or some major uh, event. Um, I believe what what can be summed up is that all of us are now have been subjected or to force majeure, uh, a ba major, hold on one second. Let's get his next one because that's quite interesting. He's coming, coming back. And uh, another thing for hosting. Uh, thank you for sharing your story, Miss Moneypenny. Uh, you was right. Yes, it does sound like a movie. The one that comes to mind is Contagion, which would make yeah. you Gwyneth Paltrow. I hope that makes you smile, but obviously you had a, a better outcome than she did. Um, just a, a quick question. Um, of your friends that you said were infected, whatever happened to those? Did anyone else that you came into contact, did they uh, get long COVID? And if not... Um, what did they? Uh, what did they contract? Um, obviously, COVID nineteen. But uh, yeah, if you could let us know. And also, if you knew now what you knew uh, before, would you have done anything different in regards to um, medication? Uh, I know that uh, there are lots of things that we can do to prevent this uh, with zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C. But Wow, you're going to have to help me because my memory is trying to remember all those questions. So one of the questions was about Gwyneth Paltrow and Contagion. Yes, I've seen the film. Yes, there's a lot of similarities. The irony yeah. is Gwyneth Paltrow has been in the news in the last two or three days because she actually has had long COVID oh. and claims that her macrobiotic diet and fasting has helped her cure it. And this has caused immense anger me personally, because the the concept of a celebrity claiming she's found a way to cure herself of long COVID by not eating and using a macrobiotic diet is ridiculously risky if other people follow suit. 
because the body basically shuts down its regulation system. So it doesn't regulate sugar, salt, whatever, which is why 30% of us are getting diabetes from long mm. COVID. And fasting, wow. mucking up your diet and becoming macrobiotic are like the most dangerous things to do. Oh, right, that's that rant over. So the next, my friends that got infected, luckily only one of them still has symptoms um, of a similar nature to myself. The others were ill, anything between two weeks and 10 weeks, um, but more in a respiratory way, more in a tiredness, fatigue, they were wiped out. But because the lockdown came in anyway, the fact that they were ill meant that they were wiped out through a period where they didn't have to do anything and leave the house anyway because they were locked down. Um, right. Any other questions? Can you remind me? <laughs> I so think that was the gist of it, is those two, those two main ones. Those are the two mm, I remember. I think I missed one, but I'm not sure. Um, no, you covered oh, just three because some... it had the movie in there too. What would you have done in the past? Okay, so yes, right, what would you have D, done different? Right? Vitamin D, absolutely. Um, but if I had known that the whole vascular system uh, is put out of kilter and that it is largely neurological, so losing your smell, your taste, your ears, your eyes, your senses, and um, because you get what's called paresthesia, so I've lost my touch in my hands, which are still. Uh, arthritic I can't my fingertips are so numb and tingly like dead fingers so I've, out of your five senses you can lose four or five but they will come oh. back because it's caused by inflammation there have been a couple of examples of people that have stayed blind or lost their hearing completely like you know the guy we spoke to last week but yeah, mainly my my five senses come and go I can see some days most days actually now luckily I can't taste and smell at all and that is so frustrating because I can't watch any program on TV with because it cry because I can't taste the bloody stuff. Um, right. But in hindsight, I would have, I don't know, I wouldn't have done anything because I didn't know what it was and nobody believed me anyway. Exactly. Well, but yeah. that's a great place to pick it up on the next one. Um, yeah. Here, let's Sorry, listen to this uh, next one. A major message. event has impacted all of our abilities um, to perform uh, what we typically perform economically, productive, you know, productively and whatnot. So um, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's simply, um, you know, clean slate starting from zero. I don't know what that would do to the global economy, um, uh, or or if it is the continuation of providing these um, these stimulus checks uh, and and benefits and whatnot, which are inevitably going to have a back end, um, you know, uh, result somehow uh, that stuff's gonna get paid for somehow at some point uh, i don't know what the answer is but i do know that uh that element is included in contracts for a reason for a specific reason and that's basically what's happened to all of us at a macro level we have we have force majeure we we can't perform we can't do what we typically have done in our jobs and in our businesses because of this pandemic yeah and i just i gotta go right now so i want to wrap it okay. up on that Can but somebody yeah, else jump in this... if they want to yeah, um, but there's this myth, though, that we can't here. afford things in this country, right? And we pay $746 billion for the military, so we can afford anything we want. It's just where we choose to spend the money. But we choose to spend it blowing up countries that have oil instead of giving our people health care and college. Um, but unfortunately, I got to go. I got another talk starting like, Sorry, right thank now. Thank you. Thank you so much. But this thank has been fantastic. And I would love to pick up a part two. Let's listen to this okay. last message Let's here. Go to that. 
Let's go for Q and A part two. That sounds good. Between awesome. Warning about COVID. Catch you soon, Dave. Thank you. Yes. It's been wonderful. All right. Thanks for tuning into another episode and another thing with Dave. Please follow, subscribe, and share. I'm on all social media and another thing with Dave. And keep seeking the truth.